There's a controversial issue currently being argued in the United States, free school meals. Should students in pre-kindergarten through 12th grade be given free breakfasts and lunches at their schools? The federal funding model for school nutrition changed during the COVID-19 pandemic. And now that the pandemic has ended, legislators in each state are deciding that question for their constituents. I talked with one advocate in Vermont where universal free school meals are now the law. And I asked him how anyone can get involved in this or any issue they care about. I'm Josh Morgan. That conversation is coming up next on The Plural of You, the podcast about people helping people. I'm a data analyst and sociologist living in Baltimore, Maryland, and I'm on a mission to meet as many kind and helpful people as I can in my lifetime. I publish this podcast on the 15th of every month so I can introduce them to you. You can check out episodes from the past nine years. You can subscribe if you haven't already, wherever you get your podcasts. And tell a friend if you like this episode. I hope you enjoy the show. This month, I'd like to introduce you to Teddy Wazizak. Teddy is a policy advocate and community organizer who rose through the ranks in Vermont. Now he's an advocacy manager at a nonprofit organization, Hunger Free Vermont. It's a food policy organization where the mission is to, quote, end the injustice of hunger for everyone, unquote. Teddy is also a council person in the city of Barrie and is the youngest person ever elected to the position. He's someone who believes that anyone can change our unfair and often inhumane systems. And we'll talk more about how he got into this line of work in a few minutes. To me, universal free school meals are one of the most cost-effective and least objectionable ways to help people that I've come across, both immediately and in the long run. Free school meals promote good nutrition, they reduce stigmas that the income-driven school meal system often creates, and they improve the quality of school menus, among other benefits. Feeding kids shouldn't be a controversial issue, in my opinion, but it is. Quote-unquote big government has been a common opposition point I've seen from some states, especially in the South. Teddy and I will talk about why this was a tough sell for some in Vermont, too, and how they were eventually won over. Talking with Teddy inspired me to pursue this as an issue where I live. So I emailed a couple of my state representatives to talk with them about some pending universal school meal bills. I'm also planning to attend some committee sessions at my state capitol to see how those go. Something about our conversation helped me realize that politics, especially local politics, doesn't have to be intimidating. It's ultimately built on relationships like the rest of society is. And if someone like Teddy can create those relationships, then so can the rest of us. Here's my conversation with Teddy Wazizak, advocacy manager and legislative policy lead at Hunger Free Vermont. I get the impression that you started out like in food service and you made the transition at some point into doing food policy with Hunger Free Vermont. How did you get into that? Yeah, so I got into, I came to Hunger Free Vermont and food policy work through electoral campaign work. You know, I was working at Dunkin' Donuts in Vermont. I worked at uh, Dunkin' Donuts all throughout New England, and I was managing a store in Vermont. And the state house that year was debating a minimum wage bill to raise the minimum wage to, at that time, the bill was for $15 an hour. Economic justice has always been something that I've been very interested in and passionate about. And so I started going to the state house hearings because the one one great thing about Dunkin' Donuts is I was out of work. I got to work at like 3 a.m., but I was out by 9 or 10 a.m. So I could make it to the state house on time. 
Oh, how funny. I guess it is a perk. <laughs> yeah, it is a perk. Free coffee at 2 a.m. and um, you get out early. So I would go over to the state house, um, still in my Dunkin' Donuts uniform, and I would sit in the committee rooms and listen to them talk about the minimum wage bill. And, you know, through that, I started talking to folks and building relationships. And eventually I got my first campaign job and I worked on a couple of electoral campaigns. But then after the 2020 election, I had been through, I worked on a presidential race, I worked on a congressional race, some local races, some statewides. And, you know, so I'd done all of this work around these candidates who get elected to go make decisions and make policy. And I became really interested in the like, okay, once these folks are elected, how do we actually get policy through? Um, So that led me to look for issue advocacy jobs. Um, and that eventually led to the, uh, yeah, a friend of mine that I met through electoral work, uh, saw the job opening at hunger free Vermont and recommended that I apply for it. And I did, uh, and I got the job as the universal school meals campaign manager. And I ran that campaign for about two and a half or three years by the time we actually got the permanent bill passed. And it was the perfect landing spot for me because, you know, I grew up as, a free lunch kid. I grew up as a kid who I, my home life was very complicated. So my paperwork often fell through the cracks and I was hungry a lot at school uh, for realistically no fault of my own, but just because of bureaucratic paperwork policy stuff. And so I definitely felt very passionately about the Universal School Meals campaign when I first heard about it and then being able to like really get in the trenches of the state house and work on the policy work was very satisfying. And then when we eventually, when when we achieved our goals, when we got permanent universal school meals in Vermont, we were the sixth state uh, in the country to make it permanent. And it was just, it was very exciting hearing that an issue that we had worked on for so many years was now like the law in the state of Vermont. And given I grew up in Massachusetts, they also have universal school meals right now. But just knowing that I was able to work on an issue that directly solved one of the problems that I experienced when I was a school-age child was really powerful for me. So, You have a first-hand account of the benefits of universal school meals then. Yeah, absolutely. I'm aware, because I was a free free meals kid too, I guess some of the benefits for kids would be there wouldn't be any bullying due to you know being a poor kid, yeah. or there are students that go without meals or they don't get enough to eat at home. And then, you know, those meals make up the difference while they're at school so they can concentrate and do better in school. Are there any other benefits that I'm missing? No, I mean, I think those, those are the two big ones is, is, is the hunger aspect of them, just the pure food security aspect of it um, as well as the stigma because, you know, schools and school districts, particularly I think in the Northeast, but across the country as well, have made really good strides. You know, 20, 30 years ago, it was, you got literally a different color ticket if you were a paid kid or a free lunch kid. I remember that, yeah. And and like that was extremely stigmatizing. And over the years, schools definitely made efforts to reduce that stigma in the cafeterias. But, you know, I one of the things that I said throughout the campaign is that kids are a lot smarter uh, than we give them credit for. And, you know, you can try to hide the stigma. You can try to hide the differences, but kids are smart. They know they talk to their friends. And regardless of when you have a non-universal system, when you have a means tested system, especially among kids, 
they're always going to find a way to identify that. The other thing you mentioned, the food security thing, I think that has a lot less to do with, you know, I think economic status and income levels and all of that have a huge impact on that. But, you know, like just because a kid's family is well off doesn't mean they're necessarily getting the care or attention that they need at home. Even if a family can afford to feed their kid every day, it's not a guarantee that that kid is actually getting that food every day. For a lot of kids of all economic status, for a variety of reasons, the school meals are the one guaranteed thing that they have every day. And that's what universal school meals really accomplishes, is that regardless of your income status, regardless of your background, when you are at school for eight hours, like you're legally mandated to be, you will get a breakfast and a lunch every day. So that was really important. And I think, too, that in the pre-universal school meals world, there was an assumption that, you know, we just talked about the both of us being free free meal kids. There's an assumption that everyone who needs, from an economic perspective, who needs a free meal is getting one under the federal system. And that's just not true. Right. We identified a huge segment of the population here in Vermont that we called the missing middle, which is they made too much money to qualify for free or reduced school meals, but they did not make enough money to meet their basic needs in Vermont. For a family of four, the cutoff for free school meals was around $54,000 a year. And we have an office in Vermont called the Joint Fiscal Office. They're like the mathematicians of the legislature. And uh, they, every year, put together a basic needs budget, which is how much does it take at a minimum to meet your basic needs in the state of Vermont? So that's your housing costs, your grocery costs, your health care, your transportation, all of that added together. And they calculated that a family of four needed $77,000 just to make ends meet in Vermont. But the cutoff was $54,000. And you have a ton of families in Vermont who are making between 54 and 77. Uh, we identified them. We called them the missing middle. And that represented about one fourth to one third of the total population of students in Vermont schools. Um, so when wow. you know, folks would say like, well, we're already taking care of our most vulnerable. Like, no, you're taking care of the people who literally cannot make ends meet, but there's this whole other stratum of, you know, in, popular talking point of what are we doing for working families? There's tens of thousands of working families in Vermont that aren't making enough money to get by, but don't qualify for free school meals. And, you know, with universal school meals, that just doesn't exist anymore. So yeah, the the benefits of it are just, you know, it's the stigma, it's the nutrition, but it's also just about economic justice and a level playing field that all of our kids, regardless of their economic background, are getting the same opportunities in school. The question that comes to my mind when I think about the the controversy of universal free school meals is yeah. what is society for? Like, right. you know, why do why do we all get out of bed every day and, and provide services for each other? You know, like, especially for kids. You know, we, we shouldn't, I mean, in my opinion, of course, uh, we shouldn't punish kids just because of their circumstances or their upbringing because they have no control over that. Yeah, no. And I mean, it, it's it, it's even to our, our neighbors, New Hampshire, who definitely do not have universal school meals. And actually, in fact, 
think it was last year. It might have been the year before. At one point, their legislator voted down taking free federal dollars to expand who would get. Um, it's like they've taken the opposite approach in almost every way. And I bring that up because um, my dad and one of my little sisters, they live in New Hampshire right now, just outside of Manchester. Okay. And she, my little sister was receiving meals without being able to pay for them. And at the end of the school year, my dad got a call from the school district saying that her account was negative hundreds of dollars. And if that account wasn't paid, she would not receive school meals for the next grade when they came back in September. And, you know, my, my dad's been disabled for since 2012. So like for 12 years now, and my stepmom's a nurse and we all know how underpaid nurses are. So it's like, they don't have a couple extra hundred bucks to throw for the food that my little sister needs just to, you know, to fulfill her role. Yeah. So that just what you said just resonated with me of like, as a society, if we are all here to care for each other, especially the kids, especially in school where they are legally mandated to be, uh, the least we can do is just help them meet their basic needs at that time and have food. Yeah. So while you were working on this campaign, what was some of the opposition that you faced? Like what, what were some of the talking points that you got in response, arguing against the, the notion of free universal school meals? The biggest one was to use the vernacular was um, why are we paying to feed the rich kids? Because the um, our universal school meals bill is paid out of the education fund and the education fund in Vermont is funded largely through property taxes. Uh, so there were a lot of talking points of, you know, why are we going to raise taxes on lower and middle income families to pay for the school meals of those children who are coming from wealthier families. And there's a few answers to that question. In Vermont, frankly, we don't have that many wealthy families. Those wealthy families that we do are often sending their children to private schools. Uh, so we'll, that's a good point. Yeah. We'll just start. And like that's, you know, that's a different from state to state that looks different. But that in Vermont specifically, we have like there are some resort areas and but most of our wealthy families are usually like out of staters. Or again, those that are in Vermont are typically sending their children to private schools. Um, so there's that aspect of it. There's the fact that, you know, we were bringing in because of the way our bill was written, we are bringing in tens of millions of federal dollars into the state to help pay for the program. And you know, there are multiple federal school nutrition programs and you opt into whichever one works best for your state. Um, there are, I believe, four or five different provisions that you can choose from. And basically, if you want to do the universal school meals provision, which does get you the most federal dollars, you have to feed every student who goes to a public school. It's that black and white. So at a, also at a basic level, it was like, even if you do believe that we shouldn't be feeding the rich families, if you want this tens of millions of federal dollars, you're going to have to give those kids in a public school those meals, regardless of their income anyway. So that was a pushback that we got, and it, it's a pretty weedsy answer. And like I talked about earlier, you know, there is a there is a very real concern of how kids are being taken care of right now. And just because your family, what I would always say to that is there are no rich kids. There are rich parents, and we have no way of knowing whether those rich parents are actually providing for those children at home. And they have to go to school just like everybody else. That's true. Yes. And also it's, it's a basic educational equity issue. You know, like 
it's just a basic part of the school day and educational equity is making sure that you are fed and that you're prepared to learn and do your job as a student uh, when you're in school. And to connect that back to the rich kids thing, you know, we don't ask students what their family's income is when we're figuring out what textbooks should be in the classroom, when we're figuring out what teachers are going to be, when we're deciding whether or not um, kids are going to be able to take the school bus to school. Those are all just as fundamental to the educational experience as the school meals are. But for whatever reason, when we were talking about food, we were asking for an intense and invasive amount of paperwork and income information from families. It seems like it would be less work, at least at the school level, because they wouldn't have to collect all the income level documentation and and try to bother parents to get them to fill out these forms. You know, if everybody's approved, then that system is no longer needed. No. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's, it's a much less, it's much less burdensome on the school administration. It's much less burdensome on um, the school nutrition staff who in Vermont, like the school nutrition, we have a school nutrition association in Vermont, which is all the, um, their self-described lunch ladies and lunch lads. Um, They were said this bill would not have passed if that organization and those folks were not as in this with us as they were. They were absolute superstars for a variety of reasons. But one thing that, you know, I didn't really register until I started working on the campaign. And then once I saw it in action, recognized how powerful it is. They don't have to staff the cash registers. They don't have to spend all that extra time. It speeds up the line because they're not worried about taking cash or doing this, that or the other thing. But the secret there is it's not as if they're cutting a staff position. That person who used to be focused on the catch register is now in the kitchen, focusing more on the preparation, the quality of the meals. There's We have one school district um, that we were working with. The school nutrition folks there were awesome. And because of universal school meals, they were able to take their person off of the cash register and they used that savings to hire an in-house baker. So if you go to Essex Westford High School in Essex, Vermont, um, and you get a roll with your pasta for lunch, that roll was prepared, baked, and made in Essex Westford High School that morning. That's great. And there's just so many tangential benefits, intangibles like that, because of a result of this program so that not only are more kids eating period, they're eating better, healthier, fresher foods. Um, And all of that is possible because of the universal school meal system. We discussed before that the, the campaign is, I guess, officially over. You you had like a wrap up period and some reflection, but now you've moved on to other issues. What other issues are you working on? Yeah. So What we're moving into now is we have a state campaign this year called Give Three Squares Vermont a Boost. Three Squares Vermont is our uh, what we call SNAP benefits. Each state is allowed to pick their own name for what they call SNAP benefits. So ours is Three Squares Vermont. Um, And we are proposing three expansions to SNAP. There's a interpretation of the rules that allows for community college students to become eligible for Three Squares benefits by counting their college work as work. So like right now there, you have to do your schoolwork and also meet other labor requirements. There's a way to count that schoolwork as work. So we're working on that. That's an administrative thing. 
we're working on standing up what's called the Restaurant Meals Program, which allows um, elderly, disabled, and uh, homeless SNAP recipients to use their benefits at restaurants. Oh, I've never heard of that. Interesting. Yep. Uh, so it's approved restaurants, and it looks different state to state. So, like in Connecticut, their restaurant meals program is basically two franchises of Subways. They have like two dozen Subways across the state that you can go to. Whereas in Chicago, they've stood up the program and they focused on you know like BIPOC minority owned local restaurants. So it's like a hodgepodge of downtown Chicago bodegas, restaurants, food trucks, etc. Massachusetts is super focused on food trucks with their restaurant meals program, which I find very interesting. Yeah. So we are working this year on, you know, getting the ball rolling on designing that program for Vermont. And the third piece is raising the minimum benefit of SNAP benefits in Vermont. So the least amount of money you can receive while still qualifying for three squares Vermont, which right now in Vermont is, I believe, $23 per month, uh, which is just no one's going to go through all this rigmarole for $23. And it doesn't actually really help with today's prices and stuff. So part of the bill also um, charts a path forward to bringing the floor of those benefits up so that they more adequately meet the needs of folks on SNAP. From a greater organizational perspective, one of the reasons we chose this campaign next was because we feel like we just did a really big thing for K through 12. We just made a really big difference when it comes to youth food security, when it comes to, you know, taking care of, you know, I want to talk about the most vulnerable. There's no one more vulnerable than students. So really taking care of those. But universal school meals, you know, it did not directly help homeless folks, disabled folks, elderly SNAP recipients, college students don't qualify for universal school meals once you graduate high school. So we saw this campaign as a way to continue to put together the pieces of food security in Vermont. That's awesome. Yeah. It sounds like the success that you've found in your own life and in working on these various campaigns comes down to well, I guess one, the motive, personal motivation to get involved. And then two, to some extent, like organizing. Yeah. So if someone wants to get involved in these types of issues, whether it's the universal school uh, meals program where they live in case it's, you know, hasn't been passed yet, or one of the other uh, campaigns that you mentioned, what kind of advice would you give someone who wanted to get started in that kind of advocacy? Yeah. So, you know, like going back to where we started is like this, like the only reason I'm here doing food policy work is because I was interested in the minimum wage bill, whatever, six years ago now. And I took it upon myself to go to the state house and start to talk to people who were doing it. So, you know, I think my biggest piece of advice is just to find an issue that you really care about because the work is hard. Organizing is hard. Advocating policy work, lobbying, you know, we think of Vermont as like the super progressive, it has a reputation, you know, it's Bernie's state, Bernie right? Sanders, yeah. Reputation as like a uh, socialist utopia. Everyone is like, it's, and it's just not, that's not the reality on the ground. And, you know, we have, we have a Republican governor, but we also have a Democratic supermajority in the Senate, or excuse me, in both the House and the Senate, there's a Democratic supermajority to override a governor's veto. And even with a Democratic supermajority, it took us two years to convince the Vermont Democratic legislature to feed kids in school. 
right? And that's, and we had great champions. And I am very thankful. By the end, we passed, we, we have 150 members of the House of Representatives. Over 120 of them voted for universal school meals. It was a tripartisan bill. So this is not in a way to knock any of the work that they did. But it's just hard to make big changes to these systems, even when it's something as simple as feeding kids. So I I say that because regardless of what issue you're working on, if you don't really believe in it and care about it to your core, it's going to be hard to really get through the campaign, any campaign emotionally. So my biggest piece of advice would just be to find that whatever that issue is for you, whatever issue that like, whether caring for kids, minimum wage, whatever it is, paid family leave, whatever it is, find that issue. You know, Google it. Google your state and your issue. Find out who's working on it. Attend a meeting. Sign up for a newsletter so you can start getting updates. Because, you know, I found that like one meeting leads to another meeting. One conversation leads to another conversation. And, you know, before you know it, you're you're running a campaign to feed the kids. Um, <laughs> so so yeah. I also had a boss um, on an electoral campaign once. She was a candidate for governor. And um, someone asked her in like the last couple of weeks of the campaign, whether she was still having fun and she got really serious. And she was said like, listen, I have never committed to anything in my life that at the end of the day, I didn't think would be a little fun. And I just think that's sort of like, you have to find the joy. It has to be something you care about. It has to be something that, you know, at the end of the day is going to, make you happy as silly as that sounds because you just, because the work is so hard, it has to be something that you really care about. I love that. Your boss's answer was like a perfect bit of wisdom in the times when you're doing this kind of work and it seems like you're banging your head against the wall. There are these little joys you can find to make it worthwhile. Yes, absolutely. No. And it was just, it was, yeah, that, that quote that was in back in 2018, it was one of the first campaigns I worked on. And that quote, because she just got the way she said it was because she just got so serious. She was like, listen to me. <laughs> you have fun. I was like, okay, I'm glad we're all having fun. But yeah, no, absolutely. You, there's always those moments to find joy. And like so much of the legislative process is just so ridiculous. <laughs> Sometimes there's nothing to do but laugh. Um, and you know, and that's like, and that's also part of going to meetings and talking to people is like finding your folks, finding your team, finding the people who are going to, you know, help you go through all of the the punches that you have to go through to accomplish larger systemic change. Um, as we're wrapping up here, is there anything you'd like to plug besides hunger free Vermont? Is there anything that you're working on or is there anywhere we can follow you online to keep in touch with you? Uh, sure. Yeah. There's Hunger Free Vermont. We are on, you know, all of the various social medias. Folks can always get in touch with me at my name's Teddy Wazazak. So it's T Wazazak, W A S Z A Z A K, at hungerfreevt.org. Um, and if you want to just talk about advocacy or it doesn't even have to be food related, you know, anything that folks want to chat with me about, about legislative policy work or advocacy or campaigns or any of that stuff. I'm always happy to chat. So folks should definitely feel free to reach out. And yeah, I mean, and what I would also just add is that like hunger free Vermont doesn't exclusively work on, you know, traditional food security issues. We're also a member, there's a big paid family leave campaign happening in Vermont that we're on the steering committee of, 
um, you know, uh, expanding the child tax credit and the earned income tax credit at the state level. Hunger Free Vermont's involved in that campaign as well. Um, so while the campaigns we choose to be the leader on are traditional food security projects, we understand that, you know, someone's ability to take care of their relatives directly impacts their food security. You know, someone's ability to make ends meet via the child tax credit or whatever. You know, you have to pay your utility bill or the electric gets shut off. You have to pay your rent. The one thing that people can take from is their food budget. And that's what leads to food insecurity the most. So uh, understanding that it's an intersectional issue, Hunger Free Vermont takes very seriously and making sure that there's a strong enough economic support base for folks, even if it doesn't sound paid family leave doesn't directly sound like a food security issue. But it is because if you're taking yeah. unpaid time off from work to take care of your spouse, your child, your parent, your grandparent, the easiest place to cut that money is through your food budget. So these are all very interconnected and intersectional issues. Makes sense. Yeah. Is there anything uh, I haven't asked that you'd like to talk about? I think I would just actually, you know, I mentioned the School Nutrition Association, the Lunch Ladies and Lunch Lads. We also had specifically two kick-ass high school students, um, Emma and Grace, that came in and they worked with our campaign for two years. And they were just, they were sophomores when I started working with them. And they were just absolutely amazing coming to the state house, talking to legislators, talking about what their experience actually receiving universal school meals was like. So shout out to them. And they're amazing. Um, and without that, without the students and without the school nutrition association, I don't think this bill would have happened. Um, so just that's important. Center the stories of the folks who are most impacted by this. This was fun. Again, yeah. thank you for making time to talk with me and I hope we stay in touch. Awesome. Thanks so much, Josh. This is The Plural of You. I'm Josh Morgan, and the show's website is pluralofyou.org. That's all for now. Thank you for being kind today. Take care.